You're listening to Qalam Institute's podcast. Visit us on the web at qalaminstitute.org and join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash qalaminstitute. Bismillah wa alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah, we'll continue with our series on the prophetic biography, the seerah of the Prophet In the previous session, we talked about the immediate family of the Messenger his grandfather, his grandparents actually, and we also spoke about the parents of the Messenger of Allah This week, inshallah, we're going to be discussing, we're going to be talking about the actual birth of the Prophet of Allah there are two main discussions when discussing the birth of the Prophet ﷺ. There is the actual date, time, circumstances, the experience of his mother while giving him birth. And then the second discussion is, and this is something that is somewhat contested or debated um, between scholars about the, the authenticity of it is debated, highly debated among scholars. But nevertheless, there are narrations which detail to us that at the time when the Prophet of Allah وسلم, was born, at that time, certain miraculous events took place. Um, I spoke a little bit about the events leading up to the uh, birth of the Prophet but actually on the night uh, on which the Prophet was born, that same night there are reports, there are narrations of certain miraculous events taking place in different parts of the world. And um, almost as a, uh, as a universal, as a global sign of the arrival of the Messenger of Allah Inshallah, we'll talk about those particular incidents and those narrations. We'll probably speak about that in the next uh, session next week, inshallah. This week we'll be focusing on the actual birth of the Messenger of Allah himself and what were the basic circumstances uh, surrounding his birth and his um, arrival on this, uh, on this earth. So the Messenger of Allah in the hadith of Sahih Muslim, the Prophet of Allah was asked, by an Arabi, by a Bedouin man. He said, Ya Rasulullah, ma taqulu fi sawmi yawmil ithnayn. O Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi what do you have to say, what do you advise us about fasting on Mondays? The Prophet Sallallahu said, Thaka yawmun wulittu fihi wa unzila alayya fihi. That that is the day on which I was born, and that was also the day on which uh, divine revelation arrived to me. It was first revealed upon me. So from that, what we realize is that from an authentic narration, we're getting it directly from the Messenger of Allah that he was actually born on a Monday, and that the fact that even the revelation began on a Monday. Then there's a famous uh, riwayah narration by, uh, from Imam Ahmad in his Musnad, in which the Prophet of Allah is narrated by Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma. He says, "Wulida Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam yawm al-ithnain." The Messenger of Allah sallallahu was born on a Monday. Was tumbi a yawm al-ithnain? He was given prophethood on a Monday. The revelation, "Iqra bismi Rabbika aladhi khalaq." That day in the cave of Hira, it was a Monday. Wa kharaj muhajiran min Makkah ila al-Madina yawm al-ithnain. And he left Mecca and departed towards Medina on the, the, the great migration, the blessed Hijrah, on a Monday. وَقَدِمَ الْمَدِينَةَ يَوْمَ الْإِثْنَيْنِ He entered and arrived into Medina on a Monday. وَتُوفِيَ يَوْمَ الْإِثْنَيْنِ He passed away on Monday. وَرَفَعَ الْحَجَرَ الْأَسْوَدِ يَوْمَ الْإِثْنَيْنِ That famous incident that occurred before prophethood with the Messenger of Allah which we will talk about in the seerah, inshallah, in the coming sessions that when the Al-Hajr al-Aswad needed to be lifted and put back into place, that day was also a Monday. So as I mentioned, this is the narration uh, of Imam Ahmad, uh, narrated by him in his Musnad. There are also other uh, extended narrations, extended versions of this narration. Uh, Ibn Asakir, uh, mentions in his book, in his tarikh, his book of history, that this ayah of the Quran, that was somewhat of that completion of the commandments of, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the completion of the deen and the blessing of Allah, that was also a Monday. And then 
So these are um, also other narrations talking about this. So what we are able to derive, what we are able to come to a conclusion about is that the fact that the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he was born on a Monday. Now as for what day, what month was it? So the vast overwhelming majority of scholars, narrations, books of sirah, books of history, books of hadith, say that the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was born during the month of Al-Rabi'ul, Rabi'ul Awwal, that he was born during Rabi'ul Awwal. And so this, there's almost practically, there's consensus on the fact that the Prophet was born during the month of Rabi'ul Awwal. Now there is a very, very small minority of scholars who say that, uh, who have certain quotations or quotes or narrations in which they claim that the Prophet of Allah was born during the month of Ramadan. Um, however, there's very little to no uh, you know, proof, there's little to no grounding for that type of an opinion. So again, like I said, the vast overwhelming majority, practically a consensus exists of the fact that the Prophet of Allah was born during the month of Rabi'ul Awwal. Now it goes into the discussion as to what date, what date during the month of Rabi'ul Awwal was the Prophet ﷺ born? So he was born on a Monday and it was the month of Rabi'ul Awwal. But what date during Rabi'ul Awwal was it? So here you start to find a variety of different narrations. There's the narration from Al-Hafidh ibn Dihya that he says that the Prophet of Allah ﷺ was born on the 17th of Rabi'ul Awwal. Uh, there's even an opinion by Imam Al-Waqidi the famous historian, he says that the Messenger of Allah and even uh, Ibn Abdul Barr in his Al-Isti'ab holds the opinion that the Prophet of Allah was born on the second of Rabi'ul Awwal. Um, there is also the opinion by Al-Humaydi, a great scholar. He says that the Prophet of Allah was born on the eighth of Rabi'ul Awwal, that that Monday, it was the eighth of Rabi'ul Awwal. And similar opinions come from Imam Malik, Imam uh, Aqil, and Imam Az-Zuhri. There's also the opinion uh, in, by Ibn Asakir and Abu Ja'far al-Baqir that the Prophet of Allah was born on the 10th of Rabi'ul Awwal. However, the opinion that the Prophet of Allah was born on the 12th of Rabi'ul Awwal, that which is usually the popularly known date of the birth of the Prophet that is what Ibn Ishaq in his sirah mentions, Ibn Abi Shayba mentions this in his Musannaf, um, and this, this particular opinion is also narrated from, passed down from Jabir Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah, there's actually a narration from them, وَلِدَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى عَلَيْهِ سَلَمَ عَامَ الْفِيلِ يَوْمُ الْإِثْنَيْنَ الثَّانِي عَشَرَ that the Messenger of Allah was born during the year of the elephant. I've mentioned this previously that the Prophet was born about 50 to 55 days. There are two more stronger opinions. Some opinions say a month, some say six months, but the more stronger opinions are that the Prophet of Allah was born 50 or 55 days after the occurrence, uh, uh, after the incident of the invasion of the army of the elephants and their eradication. He was born about 50 or 55 days after that incident, and he's, so he was born during the year of the elephant on a Monday, Yom al-Ithnayn, min al-Awwal, on the 12th day from the month of Rabi'ul Awwal. And that was also, وَفِيهِ بُعِثَ وَفِيهِ عُرِجَ بِهِ إِلَى السَّمَاءِ وَهَاجَرَ وَفِيهِ مَاتَ وَهَذَا هُوَ الْمَشْهُورِ عِنْدَ الْجَمْهُورِ وَاللَّهُ تَعَالَىٰ أَعْلَمُ and this is, and then they go on to say that it was also a Monday on which the Prophet of Allah was given prophethood. It was also a Monday on which he was taken on the journey of Al-Isra al-Mi'raj. It was also a Monday on which he migrated to the city of Medina. And it was also a Monday on which he passed away. And this is the popular opinion. This is the typically well-known opinion and the majority opinion, even, even amongst Islamic scholars, that, the, that this occurred on a Monday, the 12th day, during the month of Rabi'ul Awwal, during the year of the elephant. And so that's a little bit of a discussion as to exactly what day uh, the Prophet of Allah وسلم, was born. There's also... And this coincides basically in the opinion of some historians, this also coincides with the 22nd of April in the year 571 of the Christian era. So the 12th of Rabi'ul Awwal, Monday, during the year of the elephant coincides with, um, or rather I should say, um, it coincides with the 25th of the month of April during the year 571 of the Christian 
era. Now, going on to talk about the exact circumstances that surrounded the birth of the Prophet the mother of the Prophet of Allah uh, of course, as I mentioned previously, when talking about the father of the Prophet overall talking about his um, parents, that the father of the Prophet passed away before the Prophet was born. And again, that is the again dominant opinion amongst Islamic scholars, and that's the generally uh, more reliable held opinion. There are again some very, very minority opinions that the, by the time the father of the Prophet passed away, the Prophet was already born. He was about a month or a couple of weeks old, because there are some narrations, some historical narrations, which mention the fact that the father of the Prophet was traveling on business, as I mentioned. And he stopped over in the city of Medina. Actually, um, some narrations even say that he was sent to Yathrib, to Medina, to conduct his business, to work out some type of a business deal, to bring dates from Medina to Mecca. And he fell ill during that time and he passed away. There are some historical narrations which say that the people that he traveled with, the business caravan that he traveled with, they waited there for, for him for some time, for a few days. But when, it, when they realized his health was not getting any better and he was in no shape to travel, they went ahead and came back to Mecca. And when they came back to Mecca, Abdul Muttalib, the, grand, uh, the, you know, the grandfather of the Prophet ﷺ, he obviously asked him, where's my son Abdullah? They said, you know, he became very ill in Medina, in Yathrib, and we had to leave him there. So then Abdul Muttalib sent somebody to Yathrib to go and check on his son and bring him home. And when he reached there, that's when he found out that he had passed away and he had been buried at Darun Nabigha. Now, based on that, some scholars have speculated that some time passed so that the time when they usually note as the death of Abdullah is when the the caravan returned back to Mecca. But so they're speculating that basically, no, they left him there and he was still ill, he was still sick, so he passed away, possibly after some time. But like I said, that is merely speculation. There's not any solid type of evidence or proof that this is based off of. So again, the father of the Prophet ﷺ, according to the vast majority of scholars, passed away before the Prophet of Allah ﷺ was actually born into this world. And, and what kind of supports that as well is that the Prophet ﷺ himself mentioning that he was born an orphan, he was born a yatim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressing the Prophet ﷺ um, and telling him that you were an orphan, right? أَلَمْ يَجِدْكَ يَتِيمًا فَآوَى did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala find you an orphan and then he still gave you a place, he gave you a home, he was able to take care of you. So again, based on that, um, there's the scholars lean more towards the fact that the father of the Prophet did pass away before he was born. Now, so the mother of the Prophet is expecting. She's expecting. And actually, um, she was very close to her due date at the time of the death of the father of the Prophet, her husband Abdullah. Something very interesting, a hadith, a narration that um, is mentioned here, um, and I didn't mention it previously, but one established fact, of course, is that the parents of the Prophet were married, and the Prophet was conceived through marriage, and then the Prophet, even though by the time he was born, his father had passed away, nevertheless, this was, of course, a very righteous, blessed birth. And the Prophet of Allah is reported to have said that, وُلِتُ مِن نِكَاحٍ لَا مِن سِفَاحٍ وُلِتُ مِن نِكَاحٍ لَا مِن سِفَاحٍ I was born by means of, by, um, I, was more, I was born into this world by means of a marriage, nikah, not by means of a sin. And, and what's very interesting about that is, because the Prophet says this generally, and there are some extended narrations which elaborate further, that some scholars have even gone as far as saying that the, the entire lineage of the Prophet there was no one who ever committed adultery, there was no one from the entire lineage of the Prophet who was born out of marriage. And this is part of the blessed uh, lineage that the Prophet comes from. Regardless, so the mother of the Prophet is now giving him birth. Now there are some narrations which talk about that the mother of the Prophet had some very interesting experiences leading up to the birth of the Prophet She saw certain dreams. Um, she, you know, uh, she, 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 in her dream she was being addressed by someone and that she was starting to have some very interesting um, you know, abnormal type experiences. For instance, the mother of the Prophet of Allah Amina, she actually says that from the day I became pregnant with him till the day that I gave birth to him, I never felt any pain. 
I would never experience any discomfort. I did not feel any pain. There was no trouble. There was no discomfort. No nothing. And to understand what are you know how how strange or how miraculous, how rare that is. Anybody who has children knows that that is not the norm at all. That's not the case at all. There's extreme discomfort. And there's a lot of difficulty and adversity that the mother goes through in order to carry the child, bear the child, and then give birth to the child. But she says, I didn't feel any pain. So much so that she goes as far as saying that even in giving him birth, she did not experience any pain. So this, this was one of those experiences of the mother of the Prophet she says, uh, there's actually a narration, a hadith, which the Prophet says, وَرُؤْيَا أُمِّي أَلَّتِي رَأَتْ حَيْنَ حَمَلَتْ بِي كَأَنَّهُ خَرَجَ مِنْهَا نُورٌ أَضَاءَتْ لَهُ قُصُورُ الشَّامِ He says that my mother saw a dream when she was pregnant with me, while she was carrying me, that a nur was coming out of her belly, a nur was coming out of her womb, that was literally lighting up the palaces in Asham. The palaces of Syria and Asham were being lit up. There are other narrations in which it's mentioned that the mother of the Prophet of Allah وسلم, she would see dreams. And in her dreams she was being addressed. Somebody was coming and addressing her. And the scholars have said that these were Malaika or Jibreel These were angels who were coming and addressing her. And they were telling her in one narration particularly it mentions, إِنَّكِ قَدْ حَمَلْتِ بِسَيِّدِ هَذِهِ الْأُمَّةِ that you are carrying the leader of this of this nation, this ummah. فَإِذَا وَقَعَ إِلَى الْأَرْضِ When he is born and he arrives on this earth, فَقُولِي أُعِيذُهُ بِالْوَاحِدِ مِنْ شَرِّ كُلِّ حَاسِدِ فِي كُلِّ بِرٍ عَامِدِ وَكُلِّ عَبْدٍ رَائِدِ نُزُولَ غَيْرِ زَائِدِ فَإِنَّهُ عَبْدُ الْحَمِيدِ الْمَاجِدِ حَتَّى أَرَاهُ قَدْ أَتَلْ مَشَاهِدِ That she's being told that when this child is born, I want you to say, فَقُولِي Then say at that time, أُعِيذُهُ بالواحد. I put him into the protection of the one, of Allah. مِنْ شَرِّ كُلِّ حَاسِدٍ That may Allah protect him, may that one protect him from anyone who will be envious or jealous of him. فِي كُلِّ بِرٍ And may he be put into the care in the company of good, righteous, strong, confident people. وَكُلِّ عَبْدٍ رَائِدٍ And may he be put under the mentorship or the care and the, uh, the, the supervision of the slaves of Allah who are leaders and who are confident and strong leaders of their people. Nuzula غَيْرَ zaid, And that may he arrive and may he find a place on this earth um, without any type of difficulty or adversity and no trouble at all. فَإِنَّهُ عَبْدُ الْحَمِيدِ الْمَاجِدِ Because he is a slave of Al-Hamid, the one that is constantly worthy of praise, Al-Majid, the one who is glorious and magnificent. Until he is shown and he witnesses that which he is meant to witness. Meaning he witnesses the truth, he receives prophethood. And it goes on, وَآيَةُ ذَلِكَ أَنَّهُ يَخْرُجُ مَعَهُ نُورٌ يَمْلَأُ قُصُورًا بُصْرًا مِنْ أَرْضِ الشَّامِ And the sign of his birth will be that when he, when he comes out from you, when he is born, when he exits and he arrives on this earth, then along with him a nur, a light will come that will literally fill the earth with nur and with light, and even so much so that the palaces in Asham will be enlightened. فَإِذَا وَقَعَ فَسَمِّيهِ Muhammada. And when he is born, then name him Muhammad. فَإِنَّ إِسْمَهُ فِي التَّوْرَاتِ أَحْمَدُ because his name in the Torah was Ahmad. Yahmaduhu Ahlu Samai wa Ahlul Ard. The people of the heavens and the people of the earth praise him. Wa ismuhu fil injili Ahmadu. And his name in the Injil was Ahmad. Yahmaduhu Ahlu Samai wa Ahlul Ard. That the people of the heavens, the, the, rather the inhabitants of the heavens and the earth, they praise him. Wa ismuhu fil Qurani Muhammadun. And his name in the Quran, in the book that will be revealed to him, will be Muhammad. So. This narration is also there that she sees this in her dreams. And she's having these types of very, very, um, you know, extremely intriguing experiences. Now, she goes on to talk about how she even, now, now it actually talks about when the Prophet ﷺ was born. So there were a couple of women that were present there when the Prophet of Allah ﷺ was born. One of these women was the mother of Uthman bin Abil As. The mother of Uthman bin Abil As. And also it's mentioned that the mother of Abdurrahman bin Auf, whose name was Ashifa. 
Ashifa, the mother, Um Abdurrahman bin Auf. She was also present there during the birth of the Prophet. These were the two women who were taking care of Amina and who were there to assist her in childbirth. They both also note, there are also narrations from both of them, that they say the mother of uh, Uthman bin Abil As, she actually says that when Amina gave birth to the Prophet of Allah sallallahu She says, literally, I was like blinded. I could not see anything but nur in that house when the Prophet of Allah was born. And she said, I looked up and there was an opening in the roof, the ceiling of the house. And I looked up and I could see the stars and it seems as if the stars were coming closer to witness the birth of the Prophet ﷺ. And tadnu, the stars kept coming closer. So much so that I started getting afraid and I almost screamed out that these stars are gonna come and fall down on top of us. The mother of Abdurrahman bin Auf, radiallahu anhu, she says, Ashifa, she says, Sami'atu qailan yaqul yarhamukallah, wa innahu sata'a minhu nurun, ru'iyat minhu qusurur rum. She says that, when the Prophet of Allah was born, when he arrived onto this earth, at that moment I heard someone saying, Allah, may Allah have mercy upon you. So someone proclaimed, may Allah have mercy upon you. And she says, a nur emanated at the time of the birth of the Prophet ﷺ that literally lit up all the palaces all the way to Ar-Rum. So this was the experience that was... Um, uh, this was the experience at that time during the birth of the Prophet ﷺ. There are also some narrations which even talk about the, the actual, the, the witnessing the Prophet ﷺ and what he looked like and what exactly happened with him when he was actually born. There are even some narrations which even talk about when the Prophet of Allah ﷺ was born and he, um, uh, and they received him when he was born from his mother, that at that time he actually sat, he, he, when, he, when, when they received him into their hands, it actually mentions that he literally sat up on his knees. Some narrations talk about the fact that when he was born from his mother, his eyes were wide open and he was staring up at the sky. And this is how the Prophet of Allah was born. Now, I should go ahead and mention here that a lot of these narrations, again, some of these narrations are contested. Some of these narrations, are, there's some speculation, there's even some... Uh, criticism as to whether these are authentic or not. So I wanted to go ahead and offer that disclaimer. Nevertheless, sc great scholars of Sirah like Ibn Ishaq, great scholars like of Sirah like Qadi Ayyad in his Shifa, they've chosen to actually mention these narrations. Allama Ibn Kathir in Al Bidayah wa Nihayah in his Kitab on the Sirah of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he mentions these narrations. So many of the scholars still found enough value and benefit in mentioning these narrations, and that's why basically. I've mentioned them before you here. I'm in no position to be able to say whether these are authentic or not authentic, etc. Basically, we follow the lead of the scholars and uh, their life's work. And so that's why I've mentioned these narrations in front of you. But I'll go ahead and at the same time mention that there are some scholars who have expressed um, some doubt on their part whether or not these narrations were authentic or not. Wallahu ta'ala a'lamu bisawab. And every single time Ibn Kathir rahimahullah he mentions these narrations, he provides a reference and then at the end he says, Wallahu ta'ala a'lam. Allah knows best. Alright? And so we will also similarly leave it at that. So there are some narrations which, which also mention that Amina, the mother of the Prophet of Allah actually, before even the birth of the Prophet she called her father-in-law the grandfather of the Prophet Abdul Muttalib, because of course the father had passed away now, he wasn't there. She calls the grandfather, her father-in-law, and she actually told him, look, I'm seeing these dreams, I'm having these types of experiences. And at that time, the, uh, Abdul Muttalib told her, just be patient, be careful, just remain steadfast, carry through um, with giving birth to this child. This is a sign that this child will be somebody very, very great. This child is meant for great things. So when the Prophet of Allah was now born, she again sent someone to go call for Abdul Muttalib, the male guardian of the child. When Abdul Muttalib arrived, again she went, once again he was informed by the women who were present there and by the mother of the Prophet Amina that look, we had this type of an experience. There was nur, there was light, etc. Alright? And she hands the child over to Abdul Muttalib, the male guardian, and because he wanted to go and take the child to the Kaaba and make dua over there for the child. But she also tells him that, listen, one of the dreams that I had seen and one of the, you know, one of the times that I had been addressed was that I was told that this child needs to be named Muhammad. 
the child needs to be named Muhammad. There's one narration to that effect. One narration says no, it was actually Abdul Muttalib's own personal opinion. It was his own inclination to name the child Muhammad. Regardless of the fact the Prophet of Allah was named Muhammad. There's also another narration which actually says, but the mother of the Prophet of Allah, the narration that says that Abdul Muttalib chose the name Muhammad, that the mother of the Prophet actually preferred the name Ahmad for the Prophet of Allah. So that's where the Prophet did have both these names. He did have the name Muhammad and he also had the name Ahmad. That the mother of the Prophet liked and preferred the name Ahmad, while the grandfather of the Prophet preferred the name Muhammad. Regardless, these were some of the names of the Prophet of Allah There are other names as well, which we'll talk about in just a little bit, inshaAllah. Abdul Muttalib takes the child to the Kaaba, to Baytullah, and He takes the child, he takes the baby, the newborn to Baytullah to the Kaaba, and there he makes dua. And he actually recited some poetry, he recited some couplets which have been preserved and have been mentioned by Alama ibn Kathir. He says, Alhamdulillah alladhi a'tani, hadha al-ghulam al-tayyib al-ardani, qad saada fil mahdi ala al-ghilmani, wa'idhuhu billahi dhil arkani, hatta yakuna balagat al فتياني حتى أراه بالغ البنياني أعيده من كل ذي من كل ذي شنآني من حاسد مضطرب مضطرب العناني ذي همة ليس له عيناني حتى أراه رافع لساني أنت الذي سميت في الفرقان في كتب ثابتة المثاني أحمد مكتوبا على اللسان he recites and he says basically these couplets of poetry that I praise Allah for giving me this blessed child, this beautiful child, Al-Ardani, who is very, very blessed and noble. قَدْ الْمَهْدِي عَلَى الْغِلْمَانِ Already in the lap of his mother, in his cradle, he has already, he's already become a leader of other boys, of other children. أُعِيذُهُ بِاللَّهِ ذِي الْأَرْكَانِ And I put him into protection of Allah, who is strong and who is firm, who, ha who owns the foundations. And I pray to Allah, I put him into Allah's protection so that he can grow up to become a strong young man. So much so that I can see him reach the heights, um, I can see him reach adulthood. And I put him in the protection of Allah from anyone that will have hatred towards him, from anyone who will be jealous of him, from anyone who will be insecure, will be uncomfortable with who he is and his greatness and will be jealous of him. And anyone that will try to approach him, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala take away his eyes. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lift away his ability to speak. May Allah not give him the ability to lift his tongue against this man, against this young boy and the man that he will become. And then he points to the child and he says, you are the one who has been named in Al-Furqan. Meaning you're the one who's been named in the sacred texts of God. Fi kutubin thabitatil mathani. In the books that have been sent by Allah, in the books that have been sent by God, and that are well established and have been recited throughout the generations and centuries. Ahmada maktuban ala lisani. And your name Ahmad has been mentioned throughout the generations and throughout time. So he recites these words, so you see that even Abdul Muttalib has these convictions of the fact that the Prophet of Allah wasallam, even at childbirth, that this is a very, very special child, and that there's something very unique about this child. It also mentions that when Abdul Muttalib goes there to the Kaaba, and he you know, is making dua for this child, that some of the other leaders of Quraysh are there, and they see Abdul Muttalib holding this baby, and they get very excited, and they say, what happened to Abdul Muttalib? And he says, this is my grandson, he's been born. This is the son of Abdullah, he's, he's, he's arrived, he's born now. And so they ask him, what did you name him? What, what is his name? And he says, Muhammad, Muhammad. So the name Muhammad was a very rare name at that time. Ibn Kathir actually says that this was a very rare name at that time. Ibn Kathir um, does not agree with the opinion, with the position that some scholars have mentioned that the Prophet of Allah was the first one ever to be named Muhammad. There's actually quite a bit of discussion on this. So, and, and it's actually mentioned by some more muhaqqiqun, some more scholars who have done research on the issue that they say this was something that was popularized by Al-Qusas. The Qusas. Qusas are storytellers, not scholars, storytellers. People who embellish and tell stories and, you know, um, 
you know, they, they just try to entertain people, entertain folks. So they've popularized this, this notion that the Prophet of Allah was the first person ever to be named Muhammad. But this is actually incorrect. There were, there were others even before the Prophet of Allah's birth in Hijaz, in the tribes of Arabia, who had the name Muhammad. But it doesn't change the fact that the name Muhammad was a very rare name at the time the Prophet of Allah was born. The name Muhammad, I should go ahead and share this with you as well. The name Muhammad comes from the root Hamd. It's from Bab Taf'il, Tahmeed. And it's Muhammad, it's Ism Maf'ul, which basically means that it means the one that is frequently, the one that is constantly, the one that is repeatedly praised. Yahmaduhu Ahlul Sama'i wa Ahlul Ard. That's basically what, what was being told to Amina. He is the one that is repeatedly, frequently, regularly praised. Ahmad is the one that is very, very abundantly praised. That he is very greatly praised. Amazing things are said about him. And Muhammad means that amazing things are said about him over and over and over again. And we know that not only was this foretold to the mother and the grandfather of the Prophet of Allah but we know that this is actually the truth. Even before Prophethood, this was the man that when he would walk around Mecca, they would point to him and they would say, As-Sadiq Al-Ameen. He was praised even before Prophethood. And this is the man that after Prophethood, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling him, وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ صَلُّوا عَلَيْهِ وَسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا That the, this is the man that whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praises, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ إِنَّا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ شَاهِدًا وَمُبَشِّرًا وَنَذِيرًا وَدَاعِيًا إِلَى اللَّهِ بِإِذْنِهِ وَسِرَاجًا مُنِيرًا So this is that man who is abundantly, frequently, till today he's praised. And today the most common name in the entire world is Muhammad. What greater compliment is there? So this was foretold um, even in the name of the Prophet of Allah which actually, uh, again, if you take those narrations, that his mother was instructed to name him this. Now there's one very... So let me first talk about a little bit more detail about the name of the Prophet of Allah The Prophet of Allah there's actually a hadith, there's a narration from the Prophet ﷺ. There's a narration, there's a hadith from the Prophet of Allah ﷺ in which the Prophet of Allah ﷺ says, Inna li asma'un. Inna li asma'un. I have many names. Ana Muhammad. I am Muhammad. Wa ana Ahmad. And I am Ahmad. Wa ana al-mahi alladhi yamhu Allahu bi al-kufra. I am al-mahi. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, al-mahi means one who erases, one who eradicates, one who removes. Al-mahu, to remove, to erase. Alright, that I am al-mahi, I am the one who removes, the one who erases, the one who eradicates. That Allah eradicated kufr through me. Alright, وَأَنَا الْحَاشِرَ الَّذِي يَحْشُرُ النَّاسُ عَلَىٰ قَدَمِي and I am al-hashir. Hashir means one who gathers, that people have gathered at my feet. That people have come to me from far and wide to take their deen. And then he says, وَأَنَا الْعَاقِبِ وَأَنَا الْعَاقِبِ And I am al-aqib. And the explanation for that is, لَيْسَ بَعْدَهُ نَبِيٌ Al-aqib means one who comes last. The end. That's why the heel of the foot is also called aqib. Alright? It's aqab. It's the plural. Aqab means heels. So again, Aqib means one who comes at the end, one who comes last, because he was the last of the messengers of Allah There are some other narrations which, in which the Prophet also says that I am al-khatim, a khatimun nabiyin. I am the seal, meaning seal of the prophets. There's another narration yet in which it mentions that the Prophet of Allah says, wa anal muqaffi. That again, I am the seal, I am the cap on prophethood. And the Prophet of Allah says, rahma. I am the Prophet of mercy. Another narration yet mentions another name for the Prophet of Allah and that is Nabiul Mulahim. Nabiul Mulahim, Nabiul Malhama. Malhama or Mulahim means, um, you know, battles or war situations. So I am the Nabi, I am the Prophet that will also, you know, establish the deen and that will also defend the deen. All right. So there are these narrations in which these names of the Prophet of Allah are mentioned. At the same time, the scholars also note the fact that from the names of the Prophet of Allah are also those names by which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran calls him, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses him in the Quran. A Rasul, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls him Nabi. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls him Da'i ilallah. Allah calls him Muzammil, Muddathir. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls him Siraj. Allah calls him Munir. Uh, and, and the fact that he was Nabiul Rahma, he was Nabiul Nur, he was Nabiul Shifa, he was Nabiul Hidayah, he was Nabiul Furqan, he was Al Bashir, Al Nadir. So all of these are titles, descriptions, and names of the Prophet of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. There's actually Hassan bin Thabit, radiallahu anhu, the personal poet of the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He says, Subhanallah. He says that, and it was split from him. His name was split from the name of Allah. His name was split from the name of Allah, meaning that his name was directly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so that he would be honored. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the one who is on the throne, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is Mahmud. He is the one who is praised. And he is Muhammad. Allah is Mahmud and he is Muhammad. This is, these are the words of Hassan bin Thabit in the praise of the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So this is the discussion on the names of the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now there's also another side discussion. And I actually, you know, I actually thought for quite some time whether or not to even discuss this or not. Because one thing that's very important is to maintain practicality when we talk about any area of the deen. Whenever we discuss any issue of knowledge, of ilm, knowledge of our deen, practicality is extremely important. Relevance, maintaining relevance is, is pr the priority. It's supreme, all right? And so keeping that in front, the, part of the purpose of these sessions is to provide a basic discourse, a basic explanation on the life, on the prophetic biography, sallallahu alayhi wa the life of the Messenger sallallahu so that people know who the Messenger of Allah sallallahu was, they can properly emulate themselves after him and they can receive direct benefit from this. That they can receive guidance through the example of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam as Allah instructs us to in the Qur'an. But at the same time, part of the purpose of these series and this, uh, these sessions was also to take time to do it thoroughly, to do it properly so that, you know, in-depth issues are also at least briefly alluded to. So, I'm going to go ahead and talk about this issue, but I'm going to talk about it very, very briefly. And... Talking about this issue might even seem offensive to some folks, but nevertheless understand that this is an issue that there are some narrations which actually talk about this from the Prophet of Allah because it is a matter of our deen, and this is something that the scholars have discussed. And that is, in a hadith of the Prophet of Allah an authentic narration, the Prophet talks about min sunanil anbiya. There are 10 things that are from the sunnah, that are from the lifestyle, the practice of all the prophets and the messengers. Alayhimu salatu wa atamu taslim. However, and so one of those ten things is al-khitan, khatna, circumcision. Alright, this is from the sunnah of all the prophets. This is a part of our deen. And it's a very, very well-established part of our deen. It's very important. It, it goes as far as mentioning that the fact that this is part of the identity of a Muslim male. Circumcision. Alright, so there's also a discussion whether or not the Prophet of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was circumcised or not, meaning, so what was the other option? There are actually narrations from the Prophet of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Again, there's some discussion as to the authenticity of these narrations, but nevertheless there are narrations from the Prophet of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam where he says that when he was born into this world, he was already circumcised. He was born circumcised. He was born without the need of circumcision. And the Prophet of Allah actually goes on to say that no one ever saw, no one ever witnessed my private parts. And this was part of the honor that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestowed upon the Prophet of Allah. So these narrations are actually mentioned, they're actually present. Um, and there's a discussion on this. So some scholars of hadith and some scholars of seerah say that the Prophet of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam 
the Prophet of Allah وسلم, was circumcised. And he was circumcised by his grandfather, Abdul Muttalib. He was circumcised by his grandfather, Abdul Muttalib. That after the child was born, Abdul Muttalib came, Abdul Muttalib took him uh, to the Kaaba, to the Baytullah. There he circumcised him, and he circumcised him himself. So even in the opinion of those scholars, that the Prophet of Allah was actually circumcised after his birth by another person, by another human being, that they still say he was circumcised by the own grandfather of the Prophet of Allah And the grandfather of the Prophet of Allah chose to do this himself. He chose to do this himself. So again, there is honor, there is distinction, there is that privacy of the Prophet of Allah being maintained. And there are some very, very um, well-established scholars of hadith and scholars of seerah who are of the opinion that no, the Prophet of Allah وسلم, was not circumcised by any human being, but rather when he was born, wulida maktunan. And the Prophet of Allah وسلم, actually says in a narration that wulitu maktunan, that when I was born into this world, I was already circumcised. And this was something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala naturally had already created me in this manner. Masruran. And it even mentions the fact that the umbilical cord of the Prophet of Allah sallallahu with his mother was already cut, was already severed. Automatically, consider it a miracle. Consider, consider it one of the early mu'ajizat of the Prophet of Allah sallallahu That he was already pre-circumcised and the umbilical cord was already pre-cut. It was already cut from before. And then he goes on to say that nobody saw, nobody witnessed my own private parts, meaning that it wasn't done publicly, it wasn't done as a ceremony as would be done many times at that place. And so that, that's why some scholars still feel comfortable with the position that the grandfather of the Prophet performed the circumcision. Nevertheless, again, I didn't want to discuss this in a lot of detail, um, but there are legitimate scholars who hold both opinions, both positions. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam. Allah knows best as to what happened. This is not an issue of iman or faith for us. We do know that the Prophet was of course circumcised. This is from the sunnah of all the anbiya, sunnah of all the messengers and all the prophets of Allah How that exactly transpired, Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. And if there is, there is, you know, if we were to take that narration where the Prophet says he was born already circumcised, and the fact that many scholars have held this position, then this was some one of the early mu'ajizat of the Prophet of Allah And if he was circumcised, he was circumcised by his own grandfather, by his, the hand of his own grandfather, without anybody else's presence there. And this was of course divinely arranged by Allah, so to give honor, privacy, distinction to the Prophet of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So this is a little bit as to the discussion um, about you know the rights of birth when the child is born there are certain rights certain things that are done and it goes on to talk about the fact that Abdul Muttalib waited till the seventh day after the birth of the Prophet of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and at that day he, uh, he of course kept a great feast in honor of the birth of the, the Prophet so just like we have the Aqiqah, um, similarly this was a habit, a tradition of the Arabs that obviously had been passed down to them through Ibrahim salam. So these were one of the last few remnants of the Millah of Ibrahim, the true religion, the faith, the practice of Ibrahim that remained with them, that they would practice the Aqiqah, the birth feast and the celebration of the birth of the child. And so on the seventh day of the birth of the Prophet Abdul Muttalib arranged a very huge feast. Everybody in Mecca was invited to this feast and they all came and they all celebrated the birth of the Prophet of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now, I'm going to go ahead and basically end this week's session here. In next week's session, I'll talk about um, you know, the, those, those miraculous events that occurred at different places in the world that, that same day, that same night on which the Prophet of Allah was born. And we'll discuss the authenticity of those narrations and which scholars hold them to be sound, which scholars have debated them somewhat, or at least debated the authenticity of them. We'll talk all about all of that next week. The last thing that I wanted to mention here um, related to the birth of the Prophet of Allah because it comes about as a consequence of this discussion. So the birth of the Prophet of Allah Again, unanimously the scholars state this was one of the most amazing days that humanity has ever witnessed. 
This was the day that one of the greatest blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, rahmatul alameen, that He came into this world. So what is the significance of marking that day? Whether someone calls it Mawlid, whether someone calls it Milad, whatever somebody decides to call it, what is the significance of marking that day? So again, there's a difference of opinion um, that about whether or not that day should even be marked in any way, shape or form or not. There are obviously certain practices that are outright completely inappropriate and that are done inappropriately to mark that day. But nevertheless, there are some classical traditional scholars that would mark that day. And the way they would mark that day is by either addressing their congregations, addressing their communities, talking about the birth of the Prophet ﷺ, talking about the seerah of the Messenger ﷺ, and reciting salawat, and basically talking about the Messenger of Allah ﷺ on that day, and educating their communities on that day. So some scholars held this position and held this practice. Even, even till today, there are some traditional classical scholars that maintain this practice. Some scholars of the, are of the opinion that no, this is not an established practice, that it should not be practiced in this way, in this fashion, and it should not be marked by any special activity on that day, because this was not something that was the practice of the Salaf, of the Salaf. this was not a practice of the early generations of Islam and many of the great scholars of Islam. And so there are these two schools of thought, there are these two opinions on this issue. What I will say is that there always tends to be an extreme on either end. There always tends to be an extreme on the other end. That's just how we roll, all right? We, 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 we're, uh, we're susceptible to extremes. That's just how we are. And what, what ends up happening is when one extreme arises, it often breeds the other extreme. So there's an extreme that once again might engage in some very inappropriate activity or behavior that attaches virtues, specific virtues to that day that are, that are not found, that are not rooted, that are not grounded anywhere in the tradition of our deen. But there's also another extreme. There's also another extreme which outright, blatantly, generally, completely, um, you know, just condemns anyone that will, you know, have anything to do with that day. Alright, anything that has to do with that day. So if it simply was an acknowledgement that, you know, today was the day in history in which the Prophet of Allah was born, or if it's simply some education that's being provided, that's it. Bidah, haram, gone. Alright, so these, these two extremes often exist. There is a balance in the middle. Scholars have their own opinion. And so, even the scholars that do tend to mark this day with some, you know, lectures or some education or um, some, some acknowledgement of the day, even they, um, as a current day scholar, just so somebody has a reference, Shaykh Abdullah bin Bayah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserve and protect him, he's of the opinion, he's a great scholar, a great faqih of our times, and he says that there's no harm in at least acknowledging this day and maybe having some education for the community on this day. But he says that those people who might choose to mark this day, they need to be very careful and cautious that they do not attach specific virtue to this day. They don't go as far as saying that celebrating this day is sunnah, or of special reward in any way, shape or form. They're simply treating it as an acknowledgement of a great moment in our history. When the day of Badr comes in the month of Ramadan, the Imam the Khatib turns around during Salat al-Taraweeh and addresses the audience and says what? Today is the day of Ghaswatul Badr. When the day of Fatih Makkah comes, he addresses the audience and says, Today was the great day of the great conquest of Makkah. It's a great day from our history. So that's fine. But even so, he's of the position of the opinion that this day should be acknowledged. But even he's advising those people that might you know, follow his lead and keep this opinion that you cannot attach any specific virtue or special reward to this day. Because that's just something we don't find in our tradition. At the same time, the scholars who practice a little bit more caution, that we got to be a little bit careful because the, you know, some people are maybe crossing certain lines in marking or acknowledging or celebrating this day, all right? That we need to be a little bit more cautious and we need to be restrained and we should not do anything out of the ordinary to mark this day. But even those, the balanced scholars amongst them, also go as far as advising their own congregations and the people who might follow their lead and keep those opinions, they advise those people that you also need to know your place and you also need to stay within your own limitations and boundaries and you're in no position to go around condemning others. Alright, so there's a little bit of a balance here. 
Myself personally, the scholars who I learned from, my own teachers, my own shiuch, were practiced a little bit more caution in regards to this issue. That they would not specifically, specially mark this day. They would not go out of their way to conduct any special activities on this day. And that was their opinion, that was their position, that was what they personally taught me. But of course, they also advised us always, something inappropriate is something inappropriate. Something out of the deen is out of the deen. So we criticize or we, act, or we maybe speak against a certain activity, but we also need to be very careful about blanket statements. And we also need to be very careful about condemning people. Alright, because they are people at the end of the day. And, and I'll go as far as saying this. As long as we're talking about the, the people who are more towards the center. This issue, whether you decide to have a seerah lecture on that day or not, alright, this is not an issue that will affect you in the grave. You'll not be asked about this in the grave. This is not an issue. Or whether somebody else was marking, was having a seerah lecture on that day or not, was not something you'll be asked about on the Day of Judgment. This is not from the, an issue that is fundamental to our religion. And this is definitely not an issue that should divide us as, as an ummah. There comes a time and a place where we have to grow up. We have to mature. We have to understand what's at stake and what's important. There was just an announcement being made before the seerah lecture tonight after Salat al-Isha, which was talking about a youth event that's going to be you know, gathering our families and our children and our youth together to talk to them about maintaining a Muslim identity while growing up in today's time, in today's world, and growing up as a minority here in America. That's the issue on the table. So rather than waste a lot of our energy, waste a lot of our breath on discussing these small little you know, differences that we might have with each other, why don't we focus on the bigger issues on the table? And why don't we make sure that we're able to maintain our families, we're able to build solid communities, we're able to solidify faith and iman within our communities and our, the individuals in our communities. We're able to reach out and extend a warm embrace and a welcoming gesture to the people who lie on the outskirts of our community the people that are slipping out the back door of the ummah, all right, also working on da'wah. We live in a majority non-Muslim society. We need to understand our responsibility in terms of delivering this message to the non-Muslims that live around us. All right, and then particularly our children, our youth as families and as communities. That's our biggest responsibility. That's the greatest amount Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to benefit from the life of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us true understanding of his blessed life. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to practice everything that was said and heard. Inshallah next week, like I mentioned, we'll continue by talking about some of the miraculous events that occurred at the time of the birth of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. wa bihamdihi, subhanakallahu wa bihamdik, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.